This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Terry Schmidt, CFO of Topia. You are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 638. But I like to tie net sales and gross profit growth together. And in particular, in our business, when I'm looking at gross profit growth, and I think this exists in a lot of businesses, that you need to separate the average and you have some products that are gonna be you know, maybe lower price per ton and, and lower margin. And you have other products that are much higher, you know, sales price per ton and a higher profit dollars. And you have to be able to de-average and be able to say, wow, if I just sell a little bit more of this higher value product, I get so many more profit dollars. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Jim Gray, CFO of Ingredient, the Fortune 500 company, the maker of sweeteners and starches that provides offerings to some of the largest food and beverage companies in the world today. Over the last 18 months, Ingredient CFO Jim Gray has relocated 107 finance and accounting professionals to locations in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in Guadalajara, Mexico. The adoption of what Ingredient calls a shared services model is expected to incorporate other functional areas of the business in the coming months and years. We speak to Jim about that and much, much more. We took him, in fact, in quite a few different directions. So we'd like to thank uh, CFO Jim Gray for making this a standout episode for us. Oh, and one last note. I have a listener's pick for you. That means I have a podcast recommendation. For those of you with a listening habit, you'll want to check out the podcast titled Being Planful. I was just listening to episode, I think it was episode three. It had CFO Tim Zhu. You might recall Tim is CFO of the Red Sox and he shared his uh, career journey with us a while back. Um, I thought we were just getting started with him, and I have to say, being planful really took it to the next level. Uh, they get into really how Tim increased the lines of sight of that organization by like tenfold, and they, they really took a deep dive on the subject. So alert listeners might notice that we are running what we refer to as a teaser for the Being Planful uh, podcast right before... Uh, our mentoring round on this episode. You'll find it there. And this is where, uh, frankly, we're locking arms with our fellow podcasters and uh, try to uh, together induct uh, a listening audience, a finance listening audience, and bring in all those listeners. So uh, we know uh, being planful is going to return the favor sometime down the line uh, to CFO Thought Leader. But we begin with this episode uh, and with uh, a Being Planful teaser just for you. And uh, you will want to check out Being Planful. You can find it on uh, all the popular listening platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify. Our interview with Ingredient CFO Jim Gray begins after this.
In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Jim Gray, CFO of Ingredient. Jim, welcome. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be here. Well, Jim, we, we always begin with the same question, and it, I, I hope I can speak uh, for our listeners who would tell you it never gets uh, boring, uh, because it's really not about the question, it's about the answer. The question, of course, is will you look back for us and identify some of those experiences that prepared you for a finance leadership role? And there's absolutely no one answer <laughs> to this question. That's why it's not boring. So we were looking forward to asking you that very question. Will you please look back for us and share with us some of those experiences you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role? What comes to mind? Well, I, I, I thought, I'd like to say that if you thought about, can you prepare yourself for a future leadership role? You know, are there prescriptive steps out there that you can take that increase your chances you know, of reaching a senior leadership role? And I don't know, I think for me, it was a little bit different than that. You know, one experience made me more aware of that I just understood a P&L and financial statements innately. Um, you know, well before a finance career, I worked for a consulting firm. And on one project, you know, my team was ripping apart a, a chemicals conglomerate, which had many units and interdependencies. And at some point in the work, it just made sense to separate and regroup the businesses based upon the cost structures, uh, you know, how they manufactured and who they sold to, you know, similar or different groups of customers. And by re-aggregating the financials, we were able to bring into specific focus the differences in margin, the differences in costs and asset utilization of like businesses. It was like we took apart a Rubik's cube and separated the sides into similar color pools. Yeah, there were some overlaps, but there were also very clear differences. And once these differences became evident to the management team, they knew almost instantly what to change. For me, I, I took away from the experience a newfound awareness that a set of financials is one representation of the truth. How the business operates and functions may be hidden in there somewhere. And it's our job as finance professionals to bring clarity. If you like doing that, then you might just succeed for a long time in finance. You know, I'd say a, a second reflection that I'd have is that it's not about what we do, it's about how we do it. Finance folks have to be tough. They have to exhibit tenacity and perseverance. When I was working at PepsiCo in a strategy role, I was leading a team that was evaluating an acquisition of a relatively large beverage company in the wellness space. We ran a tight process and got to the point of pitching the division CEO. It was a great pitch. 
multiple functions had input. The synergy opportunities were clear. The deal structure was acceptable. He said, no. Oh, right. You know, in hindsight, you know, his reasoning was that the organizational fit just wasn't there. And I believe he was right. However, I was pissed. <laughs> you know, all that effort and no result. I'm sitting in my office afterwards and the CFO pops in. He says to me, you can't win them all. But at least you made us really think about it. That was refreshing. Nice job. And he leaves. Tenacity. You know, for me, the defeats have just have been just as informative and great learning opportunities as the wins. Some nice takeaways there. When you zeroed in from the start on the PL and said how you got that experience, um, so many of our finance leader guests, uh, unlike you, came up through the audit side, and maybe they don't always have that sort of visibility into multiple organizations to compare that a, a strategy consultant does, I would imagine. And, and meanwhile, the other piece of what you shared, now we've had a number of finance leaders who came up uh, the ranks through Pepsi, through their people development. Uh, what is, tell us what you think Pepsi has gotten right when it, in terms of developing its finance people into leaders. Well, I, I think prior to that, you know, I started out of undergrad as a stock analyst and had very much, you know, looked at many companies and, and their financials and kind of what made them tick. What was the business model? And I think that PepsiCo, when they, when they bring in folks who you know, may be into a strategy role, but they really want them to see, uh, see them excel in a finance leadership role, is do they quickly understand the business model? And can they help with those resource choices that the marketing or the sales leadership are pursuing to drive the brand, to drive innovation? And we, we really help frame, you know, what those resource bets are going to be and, and really look forward to say, yeah, I think we're going to get the result that we're intending. Now, I'm curious about uh, your door of entry at Ingredient. Uh, you are first... Uh, named CFO of North America role. Is that, uh, is, do I have that yeah, right? Yeah. Correct. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons you're an ideal candidate for that role, given your, your background at Pepsi and so much of what you were involved in there. What, what do you think might've set you apart from other, uh, CFO candidates? Set myself apart for, for landing at, at Ingredion? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was a combination of of being able to understand the controls and the accounting side, but then also being, you know, facile and operating in, in different country uh, P&Ls and different country uh, business models. You know, when I landed in the role, it was Mexico, which is a big business, as well as U.S. and Canada. So, so really, you know, three separate businesses, multiple product lines. You know, how can you wrap your head quickly around what that business is and what and what needs to be done by the business leadership team to succeed? I, I was thinking part of what might have set your uh, resume apart was your experience uh, in the supply chain. Uh, was that part of it? Yeah, I, I think the the understanding of the the supply chain with regard to not not so much with regard to ingredients but just understanding that you have inputs you have manufacturing processes and you have you know distribution 
um, and how those costs all need to work in concert with your with what your production plan and with what your commercial team is selling so that you get to a set of financial results within a quarter within a year of what you intended right so it's it, that i think that was what really probably enabled you know some early success here at ingredient so i want to uh, just just allow you to tell us about the ingredient chapter uh that has opened today and you're part of we all think we know something about ingredient but what would you tell us tell us about this latest chapter what is this company today who is it what what does it want to be aspire for sure i mean for for those who are listening who don't know ingredient you know we're a fortune 500 company that bring you know raw materials from nature and convert them into plant-based ingredients for food and beverages, animal nutrition, and, and brewing. Uh, we serve customers all over the globe, you know, by helping them to innovate with on-trend ingredients and ways to make their products more sustainably, more affordable, and better tasting. You arrive there, and here, here's, the, here's the question we always love to ask. So you're there as the CFO of North America, and within a, a span of a, a few years, you will step into the CFO role. And curious, uh, again, you've been in that role now since uh, 2017. So we'd like to understand what is it as you step into the role, the top finance leadership role, what is it that you do? Do you reorganize finance? Do you seek to to raise the visibility of certain numbers across the organization? Or maybe you add new metrics to help others understand the business better. What is it that you do? Yeah, um, I, I think it, maybe this is both borrowed from from the PepsiCo experience, but also from from earlier experiences. You know, one of the biggest challenges you face as a finance leader today is to recognize the gaps between what your business needs and the capabilities and professional desires of your team, right? So for example, you may arrive into a role and you have an overabundance of control and accounting talent. You know, how do you shape the planning and the analytics? Um, or you may find that the business is going through changes to its business model. You know, how do you maintain a sound controls environment when the CEO and the CHRO are creating new boxes at the top of the organization? You know, I, I've learned that you can prepare the finance team for change if you support and sometimes force new responsibilities and roles on the finance team, all at different stages of their career growth. You know, when I arrived at Ingredion and have continued into my role as CFO, I encouraged thoughtful job rotations, you know, and specifically across the traditional boundaries that exist within finance. You know, are you accounting? Are you planning analytics? Are you an audit? Are you in project management? Are you in valuation and strategy or operations and supply chain? I wanted to provide opportunities for the members of the finance organization to grow as leaders. So I established a rotational program where employees were able to work in different global finance roles within Ingredion. You know, rotations expose you to different departments within the company, you know, giving you the chance to figure out what you're best at and where in the company you can thrive long-term. You know, so Jack, over the last three years, more than 60% of the professionals in my organization have been promoted or changed roles in the finance department. You know, and I, and I think the companies that have rotational programs, 
you know, have nearly kind of 20% higher first year retention um, than, than companies that, you know, may not be thinking about it. You know, my hope, my hope is that our team members find their strengths that best fit the needs of the organization. And I think it builds their career value, right? Which is important to them. You know, the risks and the impediments to running an effective rotation program or convincing my VPs and leaders that this is good for them. <laughs> you know, if you're if you have a great team, you know, why rotate it? That's a horrible idea, right? It means more work and more risk for the VP. But at the end of the day, I think what you you build is a much better bench, and you get uh, more opportunities where the the finance team feels empowered and enabled. Well, speaking of uh, convincing uh, VPs across the organization of the merits of different strategies, I was uh, read about this in a in a press release shortly after you stepped into the CFO role. In 2017, I, I believe the company, and I'm not sure this was, uh, this is a broader uh, strategy, perhaps, the Cost Smart program. Can you tell us a little bit about what role finance may have played in that? Yeah, so we, we actually, you know, started Cost Smart in, in 2018 and, and kicked it off in the, you know, first half of the year we were looking at performance, and second half of the year we had to, we had to do something that was going to be. Uh, a, a signal to investors, but also a signal to the organization that we needed to to, to re-engineer. We needed to change uh, with a with a more lasting approach. So we kicked off CostSmart, and th- the central idea behind it was that it's not just restructuring and it's not just cost takeout, but it's actually moving the organization, moving the facilities and our, our manufacturing uh, points. To a place where we're we're better optimized, in that we have we can see that optimization at least for the next three years. Um, and so, you know, I've been through a number of, of restructurings and headcount reductions, but what I wanted to do was really start to move the organization towards something that was more sustainable. Um, we put in place with we started with finance and and actually have completed a move to two shared service centers. Um, we've moved about 170 employees. Um, into these shared service centers over the last two years and, and really, I think, established a platform that, that serves our businesses um, fairly well. Now, those are those are finance accounting professionals that you move? Yes, finance accounting professionals, and we're just starting to, to expand into some other functions. So they're at service centers. They're not, are these uh, corporate offices, would you describe them? But it sounds like you're putting feet on the ground. Uh, to put it another way. Yeah, no, we, we put feet in the ground in Guadalajara and we put feet in the ground in, in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, where we, we stood up teams that do accounting, that they do accounts payable, accounts receivable, and, and some planning functions. And, and can you tell us, is there a, uh, you know, just having the finance and accounting people on the premises, is there a, a strategic value to that, do you believe? Well, I, I think for every finance leader, when you step back and look at your organization systems, you need to be able to take an inventory of just how many different systems are running your GL and how harmonized your processes are, right? So we knew that we were going to be working through a lot of harmonization. And that's really the, you know, the first one, two, three years uh, of the goal is if you get 
all of, of how we do our accounting in Mexico is now aligned to how we do our accounting in, in the United States, Canada, as well as aligned to you know, how we're doing it in Colombia or Brazil. Now you have an ability to really then look at that next generation of your systems and your controls and you can, you can have confidence that you can upgrade and you can change to the next version uh, without much implementation costs and without much risk. You know, again, I, I began by asking you using the sort of branded cost smart is what this strategy, I, I believe, is called internally as well as externally because you put some press releases out on it. Why brand this? Why call, you know, it seems like you made a concerted effort to raise the visibility. There, there, there absolutely was because you can go through you know, cost reduction efforts and you know, if you're the CFO out to investors and analysts, you know, they can they can see it and they say, well, you know, is it going to show up in the PL? You know, and, and and show me the proof points in the future. And with Cost Smart, we specifically identified impacts to cost of sales, and we identified impacts to our operating expense line item, which are both lines that we report, you know, in our in our Q and our K. And so I wanted to be able to have reference back to the changes that Cost Smart would have, you know, plus or minus inflation. And, and the net of effect of that to one build credibility um, and, and show that the, the philosophy behind cost smart, you know, smartly using our resources so that there's there's permanency in the change that we're affecting shows up in the results and the results in the PL. So recently you uh, announced that you're going to raise your your savings targets uh, for cost smart. I just want to point this out because we've been talking to a lot of leaders about how they're responding to the current environment with the pandemic. And it seems like you're identifying strategic synergies between this environment that we're in and your cost smart program. And I mentioned that because it, you're now you've raised the target. You've raised, you've added another 20 million uh, of savings you expect to achieve by 2021. In this environment, uh, you went ahead and said, you know what, we were aiming at 150 million, we're gonna bump it to 170 million. Do I have that right? If not, clarify, please, yeah. Yeah, that's that's correct. You know, we the original horizon, time horizon for CostMart was through 2021 and, and cumulatively from the start of the start of the CostMart program to the completion at the end of 2021, we're seeking to have $170 million worth of, of initiatives that that impact either cost of sales or our operating expense. Now, are there strategic synergies for this current environment in this program? And I mention that because we're hearing from a lot of finance leaders that they're looking at efficiency, that they're looking at optimization. And here you already had this program launched and maybe you're putting down the accelerator. Am I overstating that or what, what would you tell us? Well, I, I would say that that the the opportunity for remote work and the opportunity for online collaboration has accelerated towards us. Right? That, that that unfortunately our teams, you know, across the globe, you know, for their safety, we we needed them to be working from home. We, we pressed upon our IT team to find you know those those platforms that allowed us to to continue to work. Uh, as teams and, and, and drive that productivity. But what you're seeing is, is the nature of the work has changed, right? So will customers 
invite salespeople in for as many sales calls as they have in the past. Well, maybe the face-to-face was very important to securing that calendar spot, but now you may be able to do it through a video conference. It just may be easier for everybody. So whether it's a customer's procurement team, our innovation team or our commercial team, there just may be less interaction. So one, it increases your capacity of your team and it reduces travel, right? So so part of the, the opportunity in this pandemic is being agile enough to figure out what are your new ways of working together with your customers and with your suppliers and as a team. And, and if that provides some opportunities in terms of kind of uh, of how you optimize your team and maybe having a little bit more headroom space to go after some opportunities. I think that that's, uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing come together. Yeah. You, you just bumped up against the other uh, conversation we've been having in terms of sales and sales doing remote selling what's involved in that, what works and you as a finance leader, have you uh, sat in, meetings then and maybe uh, re- maybe remotely sat in meetings uh, where you're having discussions with the sales folks to understand better how the costs might be different for remote selling or how they might need an investment in certain areas for remote selling I don't know but but is any of that familiar to what uh, ingredient might be experiencing yeah well there's, there's absolutely you know zoom interactions and and as well as how you know how your customers reach out to you you know i, I think that you're seeing you know from a, a continuum of you know how effective is the digital marketing you know when you're a company like ingredion we have you know thousands of customers small medium and and the large names that we all know but how does digital marketing reach out and identify that we may have ingredients or we may have solutions for recipe problems that you know food and beverage manufacturers have how does that that digital marketing um, connect that customer back to our sales team our inside sales team maybe our technical service team how does our technical service team use online collaboration so at the end of the day we can show them what we're doing with the sample but then we also have to actually get a sample to them, right? And then they need to mix that up and they need to work that sample into their, into their product to see if that actually works better. Um, so I, I think that what we're seeing is, is a, lot of, a lot more kind of ways to reinvent, you know, how do you do that online collaboration? How are you communicating and understanding what the customer's problem is? And then actually sending them solutions um, so that they can work those up. And you're going to see there's going to be customers coming into the labs um, and, and, and making those visits. Absolutely. Because then they get the combination of the sensory, you get the combination of the colonology as well as the ingredient design. So uh, we hear a lot of people talking about AI today. And I, I'm curious how, when you're talking about AI, what you might be referring to. And, and, and again, it's used in very broad terms sometimes, but what I was thinking when you were explaining some to me, the marketing, the digital marketing efforts, everything out there where Ingredient is trying to understand better those customer relationships. Maybe that's where uh, Jim Gray is focused on AI. I don't know. But when you think of AI, what, what, are, you, uh, uh, what are you talking about most often? Yeah, I, I think that one of the, the aspects of what we do is recognizing that Ingredient by being a provider of ingredients into the food supply chain worldwide. 
has a, an order interaction with our customers that's very frequent. Uh, syrups may be sold, you know, every two days. Uh, food starches may be sold every three to four weeks. And, and one of the things that I challenge the finance team on, along with our, you know, our supply chain, as well as our IT team, is to be able to say, wow, given thousands of customers and several thousand products and very intermittent uh, supply demand signals, how as a finance leader are we, we peering down into those customers, into those segments and understanding what's happening in the pandemic, right? Because you have change in consumer behavior that's impacting the pull for our customers' products. And you also have the effects of recession, right? And so you have changing, uh, changing personal income in people's pocketbooks, and that changes how they shop in grocery stores, and that changes how they, how they dine out. And so you have the confluence of those factors coming together. And so you have to be, whether you call it AI or just accessing your data lake to get at this vast amount of data so that you can actually get a little bit more understanding, a little bit more predictive on what you think the, the, the demands are that are impacting our customers. Okay. I want to just touch on before uh, we always have what we refer to a finance strategic moment, but I'm going to, I have one more, a few more questions for you. I'm curious about you touched on how finance has this really, uh, established job rotational program, how you're putting feet on the ground at your service centers um, and managing talent in, in a pretty dynamic way, it sounds like. And what we're wondering about now that there's this new working environment, and if we were to look at ingredients workforce as a whole, when it comes to that workforce, do you believe there's a bigger strategic role that finance can play? Maybe it's already playing it to some extent. But we've seen how in, in our discussions, we've seen how finance is playing a much bigger role in terms of gauging the customer experience today. Is there a bigger role that finance can play? And I'm asking you to put your Bain, <laughs> your Bain hat back on, the strategic uh, advisor hat back on, that finance can play with the workforce. All this talent, the investment that Ingredient makes and all these people around the globe, not just finance people, but the workforce at large, as a finance leader today, do you believe there's a bigger strategic role that finance can play there? I, I think that you, when you think about finance in terms of, I'm going to call it our vertical disciplines. So vertically, so we have a control process. Vertically, you, you have an annual plan that the FP&A folks are putting together. You, you may be providing strategy advice on valuation for M&A. Uh, you may be helping with performance reporting on your ops, on your operations and your supply chain metrics. You know, what was our cost per ton? What was our cost to deliver? And as we also then as finance professionals, we deal with change a lot. You know, so most of the times we're dealing with big IT implementations. We're going to the next version of Oracle or SAP. Um, we're implementing, you know, these killer apps, you know, Workday or, you know, JDA. And as we do that, we work horizontally across all the different functions, right? To be able to say, hey, can we map the process? Is, you know, all of those audit skills, is this process inherently lean, right? Are there a few handoffs? Are there good controls? Do we understand the separation and delegation, separation of duties and the delegation of authority? 
And so I do think finance plays a role. I don't think if we play it solely, I think we have to do it with our IT partners and we have to do it with our HR partners, but to build that change in and make sure that the accountability and the clarity of the objectives of what that horizontal process change is, gets, a, gets implemented in the way that the organization needs. So I, I very much, I think it's just as a critical skill as a finance leader to be able to be involved in a big project and understand that projects have beginnings and middles and ends. Um, and there's go lives and you have to be able to drive towards that success. Well, thank you for answering that. I, I lied. I'm not going to go to our finance strategic uh, moment quest. I have one more question for you, I, which we like to ask. We'd like to understand better uh, your lines of sight into the organization and, of course, those numbers which measure performance. And, Jim, I have to believe that when you arrived, stepped into the CFO suite, there was there was some set of numbers or a particular metric that you realized wasn't getting the attention it required. The rest of the organization needed to be educated or it needed to be brought to their attention more. And maybe again, it, it, it applies to a set of the organ, you know, or just one part of the organization. Um, we talked about how cost smart was branded. Well, we see finance leaders from time to time try to brand just a, a single metric just to get greater mind share across the organization. Sure. Does anything come to mind as you reflect on what I just shared? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, our business is global and, you know, the cost of our underlying raw materials fluctuates. Um, and, and we're also impacted by changing currencies, you know, as, you know, versus the U.S. dollar. So my finance team really worked towards exposing net sales growth and the drivers of net sales growth more clearly. You know, we've recently updated our external reporting to highlight constant currency top line growth um, alongside our reported. Um, but I like to tie net sales and gross profit growth together. And in particular, in our business, when I'm looking at gross profit growth, and, and I think this exists in a lot of businesses, that you need to separate the average and you have some products that are going to be, you know, maybe lower price per ton and, and lower margin. And you have other products that are much higher, you know, sales price per ton and a higher profit dollars. And you have to be able to de-average and be able to say, wow, if I just sell a little bit more of this higher value product, I get so many more profit dollars. And so therefore you, you have to be able to figure out and help the team see that and be able to focus the growth on, on what we call our specialties business. Um, and so we've brought that special, the, the, the financial benefits, the financial reward of driving the growth in that specialty business into really crisp focus. And the result being? And the result being that, you know, we've achieved kind of mid to high single digit net sales growth for, for that part of the portfolio. It's over, you know, $1.7 billion and it has a higher gross profit dollar per ton contribution to our, to our overall uh, P&L and, and continues to be kind of, you know, well differentiated and therefore well supported with the resources that we need to continue to drive that growth. A great, great example for us. And uh, it's a finance strategic moment like that, that I'm now going to ask you for another one. Um, and this could be any time in your career. This might have been at Pepsi. It might have been at Bain. It might have been when you were a, an analyst, as you explained to us. You experienced a moment of strategic insight 
via the numbers, your lines of sight because of finance gave you uh, sort of the that insider's view. What would you tell us if we ask you just to reflect on one uh, finance strategic moment that you've experienced? Yeah, I think it's a combination of recognizing that as a finance leader, you're often facing resource and budget decisions, you know, how much, uh, how much advertising or how much to support the sales team. And I, you know, I'd recall that when I was leading Gatorade, you know, our leadership team had this idea to pursue kind of the before and the after kind of exercise occasion, right? So Gatorade had always been around the athlete's choice during the game. Um, and all of the sideline product display and the famous Gatorade cooler dump were images emblazoned in our minds always tied to the success and winning during the game. Yet the marketing team had gone and talked to actually athletes and said, hey, the athletes said it's the preparation before and it's the recovery after that's most important to being able to succeed. And so we turned up the innovation team and we came back with, with product lines. And so we were going to introduce a bar and a chew and a protein shake and these were all products that were totally new to Gatorade and, and some were new to PepsiCo. And we proceeded to do our budgeting and you know, we're asked to fund tens of millions of dollars into the advertising and the sales incentives to put the G series on shelf, you know, and in front of in front of you know high school and college athletes. So there you're as CFO, you're facing this huge budget decision, right? And you're you're it's an anxiety inducing. Because right? it's your bet for the year. And, you know, I stood back and I said, I was contemplating the market launch and I looked at the competitive landscape and I really saw strong entrepreneurial brands, you know, kind of front runners, first movers, you know, with pretty loyal followings. And, you know, and I was like, wow, this is going to be tough. I mean, this is going to be a fight. Um, so the team geared up and we decided that, you know, we were going to fight for the retail shelf position. We were going to fight for the team sponsorships and we were going to fight for the advertising claims and we launch and there's no fight. The fight didn't really materialize. And I stand back and I reflected on the power of strategic intent. And what I realized is that most of these upstart brands were didn't have the financial resources to fight, you know, or they were captive in a larger corporation. And within a year, almost every single, there was about five or six brands that we're going up against, they all changed ownership. And I just, I think it's really important for a finance leader, you know, to be able to say, yeah, I can stare at the budget and I know that there's these marketing dollars or these sales dollars, or we have these volume ambitions and, but also step back and think about and listen to the leadership about what's the strategic intent and what are we trying to do? And sometimes that's going to pay benefits that are well beyond the ROI that you intended. Thought leader listeners, don't go anywhere. CFO Jim Gray will be entering the mentoring round after these messages. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. 
will work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. We're going to jump to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to help uh, inform future finance leaders. So looking back now, Jim, you had the CFO title in various positions, but it again was 2017 when you, you've got the, the very top slot um, at, at Ingredient and stepped into that CFO role. If you could go back to your first week, your first quarter, is there a piece of advice you'd give yourself? Well, I'd actually flip the answer and and actually just share and and give credit to Hugh Johnston, you know, at PepsiCo, because he actually offered some great sound advice. And he said, well, at the start of your CFO tenure, you always need a strong controller and and pay attention to the control to the controls throughout the organization. It was great advice and I pass it along. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for that. We also like to know a little bit uh, about, uh, have you reflect a little on the personal side for us? And we wonder, uh, is there a habit that you have or something uh, in your daily routine that you do that you believe has along the way paid some dividends on the professional side of the house? So this is something you do sort of in the personal side that you think has impacted your professional side. Anything come to mind? Yeah, I'm I, I, curiosity. Um, you know, I like to visit our plants, our customers, our partners. You know, I'm always observing and and seeking to understand. You know, their passions and their worries, um, particularly their worries. You know, and for finance professionals, we have to get out of our cubes and our offices, and we have to meet the people who are running the business every day. You know, we have to try and understand what makes the business model tick. Uh, and, and what are those drivers that are towards achieving success? Because then it allows us to better model and better anticipate and better understand the results that we see in the financials. Thank you. And finally, uh, well, not finally, I do have a final question. But right before okay. that question, we always ask for a book selection. Is there any book or something you've read uh, that has impacted or influenced you in, in recent days, perhaps? You know, well, we started with talking about CostSmart, and I would say that, um, you know, Fit for Growth, which is um, PwC's guide to restructuring and cost reduction, is a really helpful, um, helpful tomb. Um, I, would, I, would, I would never kind of leave without McKinsey's valuation. Um, it, it's just a new a resource that I've gone back and forth to. But I think in terms of, you know, just kind of thinking, um, you know, I, I, I completed Michael Hayden's book on, on um kind of digital warfare. Um, so kind of playing to the edge is the name of the book. And, and when I got through it, it, it made me think about cyber, the cyberspace both being defensive as well as offensive. And, and for any you know, CFO, you have to be able not just to think about you know, how well am I protected and how well is my environment protected from malware and, and things like that, but also, you know, what's the marketing team doing and what's the commercial team doing on the offense? Um, so just, you know, it's a great read on, you know, 
what a, what a very large company has done in this space, but it actually has a lot of lessons, I think, for business. Excellent. So we are finally at our final question, and this is where we ask you to look forward for us. And uh, we're not looking for forward-looking statements, Jim, but we're looking for your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. Well, I think first and foremost, it's really about helping my team survive and, and continue to thrive in this environment. We're being challenged with remote work processes. Um, online collaboration is huge if you're trying to close your quarter or build a plan. And, and we're going to be navigating back to the office, you know, or whatever that looks like. You know, it's about keeping learning and development on track and watching work-life balance because finance of folks are asked again and again in times of uncertainty to recast the performance and distill what's going on. We just have to take my people into account and make sure that, you know, that they're, that they're doing okay. Um, you know, second, we're really focused on planning and, and, and charting the near end course. You know, what are we learning about the business? What are the limitations of our systems and our own capabilities? You know, where can we get better? Um, and obviously, you know, we continue to drive our cost smart savings program, you know, recognizing that kind of every peso or euro or rupee, you know, is, is important to our future success. And then, you know, finally, I think what you'll hear in a lot of the press is, you know, what are those opportunities strategically to, you know, work with the leadership team to affect, you know, our future, the, what the future of the portfolio looks like and the, in the future strategic intent. So, you know, competitors beware. Jim Gray, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thanks, Jack. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.